Why church? Why church? I, that really doesn't tie in at all, but it, I, I, I can pretty much, uh, the Amazon part, I could really kind of make it fit um, with what I'm preaching today. But I just have to tell y'all about me to start this, this series and this message. Because this kind of helps you understand why I'm preaching this series. I was the kid growing up that always asked why. Like I was the, I was the sibling that you disliked because they were in the car and mom and dad said, we're going to do this. And I said, why? why? Look, the sky's blue. Why? Well, it don't matter why. It does to me. Come on. Is anybody else like me? Does anybody else want to know why? Praise the Lord. So, so here's the deal. My entire life, my entire life from the time that I was born all the way till now, I cannot remember not going to church. I can remember being on vacation with Leah and not going to church and with my family and not going to church, but I cannot remember choosing to not go to church. I can't remember. Part of it was because when I was born, my dad was an associate pastor at a church, and, and then my grandfather and people in our family all the way back were pastors, and so that's part of the reason. But the other reason is it, it, it was never an option. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was just what you did. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. Some of y'all had drug problems like I did. Drug to church, drug home. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so I knew why I went to church because I just went. It's what you did. But why do we do this? Why do we call it church? Why do we assemble together? News team, assemble. Some of y'all remember. You're welcome. Anchorman fans. But why do we do it? Like, why do we do this? Why do we get together? Why do we sing? Why do we, why do we preach? Why do we do this? Has anybody else ever asked this question out loud? Nobody? Am I the only one? You're allowed to talk right now. This is, this is free reign. I've already admitted where I am, so y'all are allowed to talk. Has anybody else ever wondered this? Yes. Every once in a while, you'll see a church name that doesn't have church in it, such and such house just the name, like four points, and people will be like, oh my gosh, those people didn't even call it church. Right? Are y'all with me? Forever we've called it church, church, church. Back in um, January, every year I asked the Lord, if you got a word for me to stand on for the year, give me the word. And I've shared this with a lot of y'all. I felt like this year the word he gave me and I was in a cool place with Leah. We were in Jerusalem, and I was on the southern steps where Jesus turned over the money, table, money tables, and then 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, 3,000 people were baptized in the pools right there on the southern steps of, of the temple in the old city of Jerusalem. And I was sitting there praying. We had free time, and I felt like the Lord said on January 1st of this year, build the brotherhood. Build the brotherhood. And I was like, that's not really a word to stand on, Jesus. You could have given me, like, fire, right? I can preach some fire now if you want me to preach fire. Fresh, the wind, like, anointed. You said brotherhood. And honestly, for a few months, I just tried to figure it out. I was, I was pulling and pushing and trying to figure it out, and I would think back to athletics because a lot of teams talk about we have a brotherhood. We have a brotherhood, and I was like, Jesus, this is cool, man, but you're going to have to help me understand and then without even looking. So I was not studying for a church series. I was, I was just in my office praying, studying, doing my thing for other stuff. And all of a sudden, this stuff started coming to me downloading that it's in the Bible. 
But it just all started fitting together like a puzzle. And I was like, okay, this must be something that you want me to do. So I think this is one of the most significant, impactful series that I've ever done. But it is a lot of teaching and maybe some less preaching. But I'm going to answer this question. Why church? Is it really a church? Is this really a church at all? And as, is this, is, did God intend us to have a church? So in order to do this question, in order to answer it, I feel like we have to start with the first time that we see Jesus mention church. First time we see Jesus mention church is in this place called Caesarea Philippi, which is in the northernmost region of Israel. It was in the place that was not Jewish. It was in the place that was very pagan. They were doing idol worship. And Jesus walks them up from the Sea of Galilee for three days, and he's having this conversation with his 12 disciples. He's having these conversations going through these... And then he gets to this place called the Gates of Hades or the Gates of Hell. And he looks up, and if y'all can just picture it, it's this, and, and I've actually preached on it and shown you a video from it before, but he actually, he actually takes them to this place, this, this hole, and there's a rock, and it's opening, and they actually did children's sacrifice there to pagan gods. Nobody went up there. There would have been orgies taking place. There would have been all these nasty things taking place. Nobody would have wanted to go up there. But by the way, listen, Jesus, Jesus left a, a sacred location to go up to this gross place to make a point, to make a point that was specific. And what, by the way, when they're walking on this journey, he says, so who do people say that I am, guys? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples spoke up. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And then he looked and he says, yeah, but I don't care anymore what, who people say that I am. Matthew chapter 16, he said, who do you say that I am? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied. See, Simon did a lot of things wrong, but I love this part. Simon was the dude, Peter was the dude that, that got out of the boat and started walking on water. And if you want to be a, have a critical spirit, you could say, yeah, but you didn't keep walking on water you took your eyes off Jesus and you started to sink. But if I'm him, this is my response. Yeah, but I still walked on water. Come on, somebody. I guess we don't have any crazy people in the room like I am. You might want to criticize me, but I still stepped out the boat. And in this case, the smart thing to do here, y'all ever been in those rooms where the teacher asked the question and you really don't want to answer because you know you might be wrong? So you answer, you're like, Three team, right? And she looks and says, no, how do you not know? He looks and goes, you should know this by now. I feel like this is this moment. But Peter in boldness in this moment says something, by the way, Jesus at this point had not claimed to be Christ, the anointed set apart son of the living God. He had not said it out of his own mouth. People had implied it, but he had never said it. And in this moment, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus didn't say, you got it. That's not all his response was. He said, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who was in heaven. I need y'all to know that revelation is important. Revelation is not you get to know what no one else knows. Revelation is when the Holy Spirit begins to work on you, he reveals what is already in you. Listen to me. He reveals what is already in you. The day that you got saved, everything that you can have was in you, but it ain't revealed until you start walking with him. It's the revelation of who Jesus is that is the central foundation and the theme of the entire Christianity church. It is who Jesus is. It is the fact that he died and then he rose again. It is who Jesus is. Someone say who he is. Who he is. 
It is who he is. Not that he was, not that he still is, but it is, it is the individualized who he is. It is the fact that God uniquely loves me, wants a relationship with me, decides to walk with me, calls me brother. God, God the Father calls me son. I have a right. I have heir. I'm an heir. I am a citizen of heaven that happens to be living on earth. Now, that is revelation, but it's not something that you can't know. It's not a mystery so deep that you can't know it. It's just some people have been blinded. Because of religion. So we go through religiousness, making the church the point. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but this is good. Making the church the point. The church ain't the point. It ain't the point. Tap your neighbor and say, it ain't the point. Why? Well, I'm going to show you. Thank you for asking. Jesus said right here, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but my spirit revealed it. And he said, and I tell you, you are Peter. He changes his name right here. I feel like I'm supposed to preach this. I didn't do it in the first service. Whenever God starts revealing himself to you, what you used to call yourself is no longer what he calls you. Some of you are still calling yourself what you've always been. And as long as you'll let it go out, as long as you'll call it, as long as you keep calling yourself those things, whatever you name something will return to you. I got a puppy who's four months old, and she's starting to return when I call her name because she's learned that she should come to me when I speak her name. Stop calling yourself the name that you've always been. You're not an idiot. You're not abused. You're not neglected. You're not defeated. You're what Jesus says you are. You're a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the king. He says, now you're Peter. Which, by the way, the word Petros means rock, but it is not the central rock. It is not the bedrock. It is not the foundational rock. It is a singular rock. This is huge. It is going to be huge for these six weeks in this series. You are a rock, but you're not the rock. Some people have missed this. He said, you're now Petros, pebble, smaller rock. But on this rock, which rock? This one? the revelation of who I am, on that rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Look at what this says. He did not say, Peter, now you will build my church. Are y'all awake? He said, I will build my church. I will, I will. Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of Hades, hell. And he's pointing at this place where pagan sacrifice was going, saying no matter how awful, no matter how ugly, no matter how far from God you think people are, no one can be too far from the love of God. No one. That doesn't mean they'll receive it because it's to those who receive he gives the right to be children of God. But no one's too far. But listen to me. He said, I will build my church. So listen to me. I'm going to be controversial this whole series. So let me just start out by saying this. It is not my job to build the church. Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. I can't find a time in the Bible where an apostle or a prophet or one of those people were called to build a church. Ecclesia. I can't find one. Now, they, they referred to them as ecclesias, as the church. But it simply translates in the Greek. People called out from the world to God. It is the outcome, listen to me, the outcome of being collectively the body, the church. 
That means that the church today is speaking all around the world, that there's not a country, I believe, Lord willing, there's not a country, even the ones that it's illegal to say the name of Jesus, that the church is speaking when the church, 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 when all of these gatherings like we have today, whether, whether it, is, it is a big assembly, because there's some places that have 10,000 people in one room today, maybe bigger than that, and there's places that have 30 people, and there's places that have all in between. And our church is running somewhere between five and 600 people on average. And that's just one of the sizes of one of the places that make up, listen carefully, don't miss this, the corporate body of Christ, which is the? Church. Say it loud and proud. Church. The church. Why? Because you individually are the church. You are the church. And when we all gather together, we become the mystical body of Jesus. This is the body that houses the Lord now. There is no more holy of holies. There is no more place where the Ark of the Covenant is stored. There is no more temple where we need to go worship. This is his temple. And so therefore, when I'm building something or you're building something, we're not called to build the church. We're called to build something totally different. And I'm going to show you what we're called to build. Paul is probably the one that talked about this more than anybody else. And here's what Paul said in, to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2, verse 19. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. By the way, this is crazy what I'm about to show you because all of us at one time were strangers. We were aliens. Y'all know what it feels like. Some of you are like, I'm not an alien. Stop saying that. This is not that kind of alien. We ain't, going, we ain't talking about E.T. phone home. Is everybody with me? Some of y'all don't even know what E.T. is. We rode the bikes when we were little kids. Some of y'all don't remember it. His finger lit up. He said, ooh, ooh. You're welcome. That was good, wasn't it? Thank you. I appreciate you. Alien is like we use when someone has illegally come into our country as an immigrant. They are an illegal alien. You see, when I don't know Jesus, God, this is good for somebody. When I don't know Jesus as my Savior, the reason it feels awkward when I'm in a room with people that do, and I start skepti being skeptical in my heart wondering if that stuff's real, is because I'm a stranger in their home. I'm a foreigner, an outsider. I am not one of his. I'm not talking about the individual house. So it feels weird. And by the way, some people that are far from God, when you walk in their house, you can tell. That's why you can tell because I'm a stranger in that house. So he says, no, no, you're no longer a stranger and alien. Christians, I'm talking to you for a second, but stay with me if you don't know Jesus right now. But you are a fellow citizen. You have citizenship where? From heaven. You are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God. Built. Someone say built. Huh. We're going to hear that word a lot through this series. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Can I just say this as a side note? I'm going to preach this later in the series, this Ephesians 2 passage. But I believe what this is saying here, that on the foundation of is not that two men, an apostle and a prophet, are the foundation. I do not believe that, not even a little bit. What I believe is that God gives apostles and prophets revelation that can be built on who Jesus is. 
that those seats actually exist because Ephesians 4 says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers to do the works of service. And I believe that's what that means because then right after that he says Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Being the cornerstone. And then, I just want y'all to know this. Do do y'all drink, do y'all eat Greek yogurt? Anybody? Let me see your hands. Greek yogurt. I think it's gross. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's got an aftertaste. Leah loves it and I've tried to eat it and I just go, praise the Lord. I'll try something else. But I noticed when I looked up house, I was like, oh, Greek yogurt got it. And this is Greek, so it kind of makes sense, I guess. But it just means dwelling place, family gathering, house, the gathering congregation of people. And so he said, you're part of this gathering, this oikos, not Greek yogurt, right? But, but, but this is a household of faith. So I'm not saying it's bad that we call this Four Points Church, but in actuality, this is Four Points house because each place that is gathering i'm going to preach a little bit if y'all can stay with me each place that is gathering today is a household of faith so when people say i don't need to go to church and gather because i i have church in my house that's all fine and good but that's not a gathering that's what you already are so if you just if people are just i'm not talking about you because you're here if people are just lazy because they stay home and they don't want to get out because it's freezing cold feels amazing but whatever (laughs) they miss the point because what we do together is what I'm gonna preach the rest of this message in just a second so I'm not gonna get ahead of myself in Jesus name but but they miss the point but it's not about how many people are in the house it's how many people aren't in the house and listen to me I'm not even talking about four points house I'm talking about every single house that is preaching Jesus and and believes that he's the only way It's those houses, not just this house, that people need to be a part of. Why? Because they're aliens and strangers and foreigners. Because they aren't citizens of heaven. Because until I trust Jesus, even though I have the right, I still only have the right. I'm not in the right standing with God. He gives me his righteousness, and he became my sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. The only way I have right standing with God is when that exchange takes place and I receive Jesus as Lord. And so until then, I'm a foreigner. Why do we do what we do every week? Because people far from God need to experience this. So it's not about how many people come in the house. For centuries, I love church history. I love studying it. I love, it was one of my favorite subjects in school. I took extra classes just because I wanted to go nerd and do those things, and I loved it. And it's fascinating to me how for centuries, I'm talking about since Jesus left, since Paul started preaching throughout most of Europe, all of the Mediterranean region, there's been a tug of war over power. Someone say power. Power. Say it again. Say it loud. Say power. power. Over power. In other words, whose is the shiniest? Who talks the best in a microphone? And not what we've been called to do, which is build a brotherhood. Because we made the central theme throughout the centuries. We made the theme become the church is the point. But here's the problem with that. Jesus builds his church and we build his house. We build individual households of faith. We are not called to be the man. I'm just telling y'all what I feel so strongly about today. If you were here last week, you heard part of this, of how much I used to criticize people 
that were pastors and how deeply I'm convicted in my heart over what I used to do. Because what I was doing is saying this, ultimately, listen to me carefully. I'm not saying there's not people out there that are taking the name of Jesus and ruining it. I'm saying there's many people that weren't doing that, but because they didn't, y'all don't miss this, because they didn't do it my way or what my preference was, I criticized them. And of course, the enemy loves that. Satan loves it. If I'll have a critical spirit toward the way that someone worships, toward the way that someone preaches, oh, that guy uses a lapel mic, he doesn't use a handheld, he's not really. Oh, that church doesn't do small groups, they do Sunday school. ha, ha, ha. I know that feels awkward for a pastor to be saying this, but we all know that it's true. And I'm saying it was me. I'm not calling, calling out any church. And I'm saying if I'm not careful, it is me, not was me. Because we get so hell-bent, and I mean that literally, not just figuratively, hell-bent on our own way that we forget Jesus is the way. I want you to see something fascinating that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You would think that a guy that had as big an impact as I would argue any human being not named Jesus in the history of Christianity. I mean, if you built Mount Rushmore, you'd have to put Paul right there beside Jesus. That dude was wild. I mean, when he got saved, he got saved. He just left. I mean, he just, he just put it down, couldn't see, didn't care. Take me to him. I'm good. And they just started preaching. Just started going into all these places, going into all these things, and he started preaching. And so you would think when he's describing himself to the Corinthian church, to maybe one of the most powerful regions, not maybe, definitely one of the most powerful regions in Greece at the time, you had to get Corinth if you were going to reach the world. It was huge, huge, huge. And this is what he said. He, he, he didn't say, I'm a powerful preacher. I'm awesome. I'm a skilled preacher now. He said, according to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master, what's this word? It's just so weird because I've never seen it before and I've read the one-year Bible 10 times or more and I've done all this stuff and I've heard it and I've heard it but I've never seen it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about that there's a difference between reading something and actually seeing it, letting it hit your heart. And I started realizing Paul was not arguing that he's the best preacher. Paul did not even care. Paul argued that his job was to go from city to city laying foundations and upon it someone else's building. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Why do some churches last for centuries and actually thrive and other churches flounder after a decade? Because we build upon the wrong thing. He said, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm just telling y'all, some of y'all aren't going to hear this. I've just decided in this series I'm going to be an extra layer of bold and hopefully people will receive it. The easiest thing to do in the seat that I sit in is to make this thing anything but Jesus. Oh, no, 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 don't miss. We'll say Jesus. We want the power of Jesus. We want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But he becomes an afterthought until we need him to rescue us. Why? Because mine is the shiniest. Mine is the prettiest. Mine's the one that you should be paying attention to. And we forget the fact that we're just a part 
of the family of God, that this is a family unit, that this is full of crazy uncles because we got crazy uncles in our family. Y'all better talk to me in here. That we all have personalities, that we all have stuff, that we all go through stuff, but the reality is the corporate church, the capital C church is what Jesus builds, and we're responsible for what the foundation is, and it's got to be Jesus. All that we have to do to make the foundation anything but Jesus is take our eyes off of Jesus to make anything, to make inward frustrations, to make stuff, to make anything, to make anything but him the central focus. And maybe it's too awkward to be, to be this open for a pastor to be this honest, but I'm just telling you it's an everyday battle. It's an everyday battle. Because some of you have personalities that are super driven and some of you are kind of laid back. But for those of you that are driven, for those of you that see things and know that it's supposed to take place, it's hard sometimes not to step in the way and get in front of God's plan. It's hard not to try to push and manipulate what God's purpose is. And Lord knows I've been guilty. In my lifetime, I've been guilty in this church as your pastor. And I certainly try to make that not the case. But I thought I would share with you what happened this morning. This morning I was, um, I was praying. I, I have a routine and I, I try to do the same thing. I pray um, I pray for y'all, pray that God will do something significant. I'm just going through the motions, and I literally was praying this, and a friend of mine called me and said, I felt like I was supposed to call you, which is unusual. I don't, I don't hear from this friend on Sunday mornings on the way to church very often or even when I'm in my office praying. And he said, I was praying this morning, this is funny, I was praying this morning that God would do something significant. That sounds familiar. And he said, as surely as I'm sitting here, I felt like the Lord said to me, Significance doesn't happen on the stage. Significance takes place when you give someone a cup of coffee. Yeah. Significance takes place when you hand someone a worship guide. Significance takes place when you smiled at that person that hadn't been smiled at all week and felt like they should take their own life. Significance takes place in that parking lot when it was 40 degrees this morning and my brother in the back got here the same time I did to start setting the cones out. And I'm not putting down what I'm doing, y'all. I'm not. I love it. I'm so thankful that I get to preach. And I believe God's given me the ability to do so. But if we ever make this the point, we've missed the power of God. And we've tried to capture the power of God in a 30-minute-ish, maybe more, message as if God can only speak through a microphone. I got so much, y'all, in this study, and I'm super excited to share it with you. I really believe this is ordained by God through the month of November, but I want to close today with this thought. Mark Pangle is not the only master builder in this church. Each one of you are called to be builders, each one of you. And Jesus, in the most famous message to ever be preached, ever, you can argue that there's been great messages preached, but none of them are like the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was declaring some things. I don't understand a lot of them. They're crazy. 
But once he reveals it to you, it's like, oh, I got it. But the very end of it was something that if you grew up in church like I did, you sang songs and had flannel boards about it. The very end of chapter 7 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. Woo, that's a whole message. Not everyone who reads it. Because how many of y'all know we can read something and skip right over it, just like I have building a house for my entire life? He says, everyone who hears these words and does them, everyone who hears and does them, everyone who is obedient, even when it's not what you want, not that I hear from God and I do what I want to do, hoping that God will come authorize it on the back end, but when he says it, I'll do it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and is obedient and does it, he, he, they, and does them will be like a wise man. Someone say wise. wise. Will be like a wise man who built his house. How is it that my entire life I've missed the point of this passage? I've talked about this so many times. I remember in vacation Bible school growing up, y'all, we talked about the house, but I didn't know it was this house. I thought he was talking about our house. And certainly I believe you can use the principle in our home, but this is talking about the oikos of gathering of us together. It's like, a, it's like the man who built his house on the rock. Someone say the rock. It's crazy. Look at this. The word house is oikos. The word build starts with the word oikos and is domeo. It literally means to build up. Edifice is where we get, we get this word edify, edifice, from this word oikodomeo. It literally means metaphorically to build up in character and integrity. Listen to me. Listen, listen, don't miss this. How many times at church... Have I not liked what was taking place so I went home? I'm talking about me. Maybe y'all, maybe everybody else is not guilty of this. How many times have I left and gone, I didn't like what took place today? And I start tearing down what God intends to build up. How many times have I let personal preference get in the way of building a house because my integrity is at stake? And I so worry about my personal preferences that I'll watch this. Let's not talk about our house. I'll tear down houses across the street because it's dumb how they're doing it. And the corporate church is at war with each other because we constantly throw bombs. Oh, those Pentecostals are crazy. They lay out. Oh, those Baptists are boring. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, those this, they don't pray in the Spirit. Oh, those this, they don't do this. Oh, those this, they don't even have, they don't even have instruments in their church. They're crazy. Oh, 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 oh. And we go all across and we're throwing grenades across church bombs every day. Across that, just bombs, bombs, bombs. And watch this. Satan doesn't have to tear each other. Excuse me, let me try that one more time. Satan doesn't have to tear us down. We'll do it for him. And then, and then when difficulty comes in my life, I find that when I just get comfortable, what do you mean, pastor, by comfortable? Just take my eyes off of Jesus for a minute and say, I got it. Just get a little bit comfortable. Then what I was supposed to build on becomes an afterthought that I hope will come in after I'm beginning to build my house and will sneak up under me and be that rock. It doesn't work that way. He's got to be the foundation that I stand on. Every day that I leave my house, I don't care what you do for a living, you are a child of God. You matter to Him. You're part of the house that's being built up in integrity 
and in, and in character, and it matters to him so deeply because you are part of the body of Christ being built up. And whenever I just take my eyes off of him and I focus on all the things happening in my life and not focus and fix my eyes on Jesus, then I'm in trouble. Here's how you know if I'm in trouble. Here's how you know if you're, you're in trouble. The waters are going to rise around you. Everybody look this way. The waters are going to rise. The waters are going to rise. The waters are going to rise. You can rest assured that difficulty will come. It, no one is without this. It's going to happen. The way that I know who you're built on is what happens when the waters rise, not if they rise. It is not a sign if trouble doesn't come that you're walking with God. I would argue just the opposite. The level in which God has put something on you is the level that the enemy's going to come against you. It is not beautiful if you never face difficulty. It's beautiful when in the middle of difficulty, I say, my anchor holds within the rain. I don't have to be concerned that all this crap is coming against me because I am anchored to Jesus, Hebrews 6, 19. So say something, do something, be something. But we in the house of God will lean on each other, building each other up, standing against the front, knowing that my foundation and what holds me together is King Jesus. And he says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And y'all, it's much worse than just whoo, the little storm that we think of. It's the hurricane that came through the panhandle of Florida a couple weeks ago that none of the houses in Mexico Beach stood. Because a Category 4 up to a Category 5, you can't withstand that. But guess what? If we're founded on Jesus, a Category 5 hurricane ain't nothing. Because no matter how big the floods come, no matter how heavy the rains are, nothing can push over what God stands on. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. Now you build my house. And on this house, we are firm foundation in Jesus. But it did not fall because it had been founded on Say it loud and proud. The rock. the rock. Now watch. All of y'all know it. The rains came down and the floods. Come on, y'all know it. The rains came down and Some of you are like, what is he talking about? I'm so thankful that y'all don't know that if you don't. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Whew, I got to preach. What does it mean? Does that mean that I'm just living in this awful hell sin? Nah. Nah, not necessarily. Like, as a matter of fact, there's some people that were living in that awful mess of sin, but today can be founded on the rock. Because if they turn to Jesus and ask him, they'll receive forgiveness and grace. It's the people oftentimes that we think can't have the rock that do have the rock of salvation living in them, the living stone that has become alive in them. It is oftentimes those of us that believe our good deeds mean anything. That we begin to find ourselves, watch this, standing on what we do and not standing on who he is. So therefore, we ask God, God, will you come clean up this mess because I'm killing everybody around me trying to do the right thing, trying to be so good, trying to, trying to impress everybody. I'm tired of calling myself names, and I'm tired of believing the names that are called about me, so I got to do a little bit more to make sure that you're proud of me. And, and I just feel like if Jesus would speak to us audibly, he would say this, stop. You don't get sonship. You don't become a daughter of the king because you're doing something for God. Because you toe the line in the exact right way. But because you hear my words and you just follow me. 
Because he says, if you love me, take it easy. Don't get uptight. You'll keep my commandments. And he says, those that don't are the ones that talk about Jesus and brag about Jesus and say they know Jesus, but then they decide they'll do it their own way and hope Jesus blesses something that he didn't authorize. And they'll be like a man who built his house on the, y'all say it? We know the song, right? But here's what I found out sand means. Very similar to when God said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand of the seashore. It's just men and women. It's just human beings. It's trying to satisfy and make sure that everyone in your life is cool with what you're doing. It's trying to make sure that you get man's, listen to me, man's approval. And here's what the Lord's shown me. You can get as much man approval as you want, but if you're building on the sand, when that same storm comes, guess what's going to happen to your house? Y'all know, this, y'all know the story. The house on the sand went. I don't know why I can just see a picture right now of all those houses on the panhandle of Florida that were just demolished and wiped out. And I think to myself, how many churches that started 150 years ago look like those houses today? Because we've let our own opinion or our, or our ideas or our whatever matter over whoever hears these words of mine and do them. Whoever does them. Whoever operates in obedience and just says, God, I'm your son so it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do what you say. It's not my responsibility to build your church. It's your responsibility to build your church. I'm just going to build a house. Hold a faith. And we're going to be a family. And we're going to do life in circles because we realize that when one is falling, the other can pick each other up. That's why we have small groups, not so we can brag about the number of people, but so that we can be honest and open about our struggles. And if your group, you can't be honest and open about the struggles, y'all, there's plenty of groups, just find another one. If, if, if your leader in your group has all the answers, watch this, run for the hills because I do not agree with that person, male or female, that they got all the answers because Lord knows the pastor don't. But we know who does and we have intimacy with him. Y'all, the point of Christianity is not the church. The point of the church is Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's his righteousness. It's every day that we can point people to him and this can be an inn. That this can be a safe place in a bend in the road that is dark and needs help. That just like the good Samaritan who is Jesus, we can say, hey, we'll put you up. We're not the Samaritan, but we know the Samaritan. We'll put you up. We'll be a safe place. This can be a house that Jesus desires for us to be. But it's not based on Mark. I am not the foundation of this house. Jesus is. Period. And if he's not, truth will tell because great will be its fall. Every house that's fallen, I may have said this already, but I know I said it in the first. Nine of the top ten attended churches in America in the 1980s, listen to that, nine of the top ten highest attended churches in the 1980s no longer exist. I'm not talking about a church of 30 people. I'm talking about tens of thousands. They don't even exist anymore. Why? Because they had lots of sand, but they didn't have a rock. You can get as much sand as you want, 
But until we're being built up in Christ Jesus, one by one, edifying each other every day. Sometimes that means really hard conversations, by the way. This ain't just about being easy. This is about looking at each other in the face and saying, I love you enough to have this conversation with you face to face. I love you. Because each of us, as I'm going to preach in the next few weeks, are living stones in Christ Jesus. That's it. But we're not the stone. There's only one of him. We're not the foundation rock. We're just an individual rock like Peter. But together, I believe every house, not just four points, every house has the capability of having a massive move of God in it. But it's only when unity, brotherhood, and Jesus is the point. It's when we're gathered together, tied together, on the foundation of Jesus that everything changes. I want to close with this verse. This is Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2. He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. I need to tell somebody here today that's been struggling that your roots have to grow down that you can't stay surfacy and expect to be able to withstand the wind of your life. That when the storms have come, you've been ready to leave. Why? Because it's harder to be married as a Christian than it is to be married as a non-Christian because the enemy don't attack you if he's already got you. It's hard to be ethical and moral in your job when you're saved. It is not easier. Someone's lied to you if you believe that. He gives you the power to walk in his authority. But if you walk without his authority, you've all of a sudden walked out of what the, the only hope that we have and that we need. He said, no, no, no. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow into him and let your lives be built on him because he's the rock. Each one of us are the church. And when we're built together, we become a household of faith. And corporately, that is his church. And he said, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanksgiving. And I just felt like I was supposed to close with this thought. How do I know? Listen, this is for each one of you. Why do we do church? Because we're supposed to build each other up in integrity. We're supposed to build each other up every day. This is not about a name. This is about the name Jesus. How do I know if I'm founded on anything but Jesus when thanksgiving isn't at the forefront of my lips? When I don't begin my day and finish my day with thanks and praise? When I have to find things to complain about or, or I don't even have to find them and you'd say, Pastor, you don't know the situation that I'm in. I don't. Some of you I don't, but I know this. I know that you did not deserve the great love of God. But in his rich mercy, what is mercy? It's when he looked at you and said, they don't deserve it, but Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's me receiving what I don't deserve. Every day when I offer this body a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that is how I begin my day with thanksgiving. That is how I end my day with thanksgiving. And if I'm not full of thanksgiving, listen to me, don't miss this. I cannot enter his gates with thanksgiving without thanksgiving. I know that's rhetorical and sounds silly, but it's true. If that's the way that I enter into his gates and then I enter into his courts with praise, I don't need to try to go before my king if I have a grumpy attitude. If I'm all down in the dumps and I want to complain, complain to anyone and everyone. Just don't try to bring a complaint to God. 
he receives thanks. That does not mean I can't tell him, I don't understand what's going on, God, but I sure am thankful that I'm your son. And I present this request to you knowing I can't fix this. This situation's above my head. I feel like I'm going to drown because the waters have risen. God, the tide is rising and it's too big. I don't even have stilts on my house. I know I was founded on you, but I need your help. Come with thanksgiving. Come with thanksgiving. God, I'm not thankful for this flood. That's cool. You don't have to be thankful for the flood, but you can be thankful for his love. You can be thankful for the fact that no matter what you did, you could never earn it, but he loves calling you son or daughter. He's proud of you because of who you are, not because of what you do. And then I enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I enter his courts with praise. Watch this. No matter what anybody does to me, I can let out a shout of praise and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I love you. Because the purpose of the entire Bible and the purpose of everything we do is, is very simple. He wants to marry his bride, and he wants to walk with you the rest of your life. We make it way more complicated than it is, but it's about a wedding and a walk. And the first Adam messed it up, but the second Adam came and fixed it by becoming sin so we could become right standing with God. So I'm telling some of y'all, you need to stand up and stop calling yourself those lies, those names. You are no longer the name you were. You are a living stone in Christ Jesus. You stand on the promises of God and no longer call yourself that. Why do I know that's true? Because I got a good father. I got a good daddy that calls me son that deeply loves me. And he don't love me more than you. He is no respecter of person. Because as silly as those children's songs are, y'all, red and yellow, black and white really are precious in his sight. He loves you so much. And we're going to build a great house together. Will y'all stand and pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful for what you're doing, for what you've already done. And God, I pray that each person in this room will realize that Four Points is a great house and we love worshiping together and I believe we're just getting started as a church. I believe you've got many great days and months and years. You are a generational God, not a week-to-week God like, like our off-balance nature believes. But God, I just pray that each one of us will realize how individually, uniquely you love us and that you're a good, good father. God, thank you that in spite of our crud, in spite of our junk, you look down on us and deeply, deeply desire intimacy with your children. So build us up, Christ Jesus, and we return all glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all sing with us.